going to talk about the rapture of the church. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 13. We're going to read through chapter 5, verse 4. And then a few pages over, you got 1 Thessalonians, then the pastoral epistles, 1 2 Timothy, then Titus. I'm going to be in Titus chapter 2 beginning at verse 11. So if you'll turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and then Titus chapter 2, verse 11. If you need a Bible, also while Pat's there, just raise your hand, we'll slip you a Bible. And if you need a Bible, take that Bible with you. I only ask one thing, you read it. Okay, that's all I ask. So if you need a Bible, just let us know, and uh, we want you to read the Word of God with us. Um, we're going to make in references to the other uh, portions of scripture. We do verse by verse teaching here, but in this series, uh, I'm going to be giving you uh, different scriptures as we go through it. All right. Are you there? First Thessalonians chapter 4. We begin at verse 13. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, he writes, But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But concerning chapter 5, the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. And then I'm going to read from Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Again, the Apostle Paul writing, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify him for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Father, as we read this text and <clears throat> as we'll be making references concerning this blessed hope that's before us, I thank you that we can have clarity, that we can have understanding, and we can have comfort in the days in which we're living in. Because, Lord, you've given us a promise. And the Lord will descend. Not that he might, but he will. And he's going to come for us. So, Lord, help us be attentive, free from distractions. And, Lord, to just hear your word given to us. And may it cause us to want to really watch and wait and to live for you. Because you are coming at a time that we do not know. So we give this time in the study of your word in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So as we began this series, Behold, the Days Are Coming last week, we looked at scripture concerning the covenant that God made with Israel. Uh, to understand the end, we have to understand in the beginning. And I think it's really important for us to understand the covenant that God gave to Israel that we talked about last week, that in the book of Genesis, and, and it included a physical blessing that your descendants are going to number the stars of heaven. Abraham, also the land, uh, is going to be given to you. God promised him, described to us in Genesis chapter 15, chapter 17, other portions of scripture in the Old Testament. And also, there would be a spiritual blessing given to him and his physical descendants. That through your seed, all the nations shall be blessed. Speaking, of course, of Messiah that would come through the Jews. A spiritual blessing of a new covenant when that day, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, that all of Israel will be saved. And there are those, as I spoke about last week, that believe even in evangelical churches, it's a growing kind of doctrine for some reason that replacement theology that says that God doesn't have a plan for Israel, that Israel has forfeited her promises given to her because they're the ones that crucified Messiah. Well, let me tell you, we all crucified Messiah. He came and died for all of our sins. Second of all, as we talked about last week, always remember this, that the covenant that God made with Israel, with Abraham's descendants, was a unilateral covenant, unconditional covenant. And we see throughout the scriptures, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, that God says, I will bring these things to pass. And in chapter 11 of Romans, Paul writes the future of Israel that he says, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. The strongest terms, no. And as you read the chapter, he says that blindness has come to Israel in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And then all of Israel will be saved. Speaking of the restoration of Israel of that time, when they go through the tribulation period, as Zechariah chapter 12 says, and then they will recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. Even Jesus made reference to it when he wept over Jerusalem right before he was crucified. He said, you won't see me no more as... Uh, until uh, you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He was weeping over Jerusalem. They will go through the fire of the tribulation period. God has a future plan and purpose for Israel. And remember this, that Israel is God's blueprint for future prophetic events. And if you believe that the church is Israel, then you're going to believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation period. But as we look at this, people will ask, is the church going to go through the tribulation period? Um, and I believe that as we look at these passages and as we talk about a subject that is not very much taught in the church today, that we're going to see that we can be comforted. And what is called the blessed hope, or that is the rapture of the church, that God has a plan for Israel and God has a plan for the church as well. Paul writing this early epistle, 1 Thessalonians, is part of what is called the early epistles, the book of Galatians, then the First and Second Thessalonians. On his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16 through 18, he went to Philippi, established that church. He then went to Thessalonica, established a church at Thessalonica. He would then go to Berea, he would go to Athens, and then he would go to Corinth. When he was in Corinth, he would pen this letter to the church at Thessalonica. 
And then about a year later, he would write his second letter to them from Corinth as well. And as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, looking at this, that he writes at verse 13, that I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So Paul writes to this young church that is in Greece. They're in Macedonia in northern Greece, near Mount Olympus. And we know that the Greek culture at this time very much had influence over them and the churches that were in Greece. They didn't believe, for the most part, in a resurrection. There was no really any hope that they would give or uh, that they believed in concerning the afterlife. The Greek philosophers would have a very dark and negative view of what happens when our lives end on this side of eternity. And you recall on that second missionary journey in Acts chapter 17 that when Paul was speaking to the Greek philosophers there on Mars Hill, he spoke to them about Jesus' resurrection. And it tells us that they mocked Paul. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to the, the church that he had established there in southern Greece, in Achaia, we know that Paul would write in chapter 15, the longest chapter of First Epith- Corinthians, concerning the resurrection. He would write in his second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, concerning the resurrection as well, because there were those who were preaching that there was no resurrection. Now keep in mind, and this is where people get confused, when we talk about the resurrection, we are talking about the time when you and I are going to get new heavenly bodies. It's more than, than eternal life. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen? But there's going to be a time when the new heavenly bodies, and that's a promise that Scripture gives to us, and even non-believers are going to be resurrected after the millennium reign. They will stand before the great white throne judgment. And Jesus, as he was speaking about the resurrection, he said those who are going to be resurrected to life, those who have done good, and those who have done evil to resurrection and condemnation. Daniel speaks of that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. When Timothy came to Paul in Corinth, you see, after Paul established the church at Thessalonica, they were persecuted. He was concerned for them. They were a young church. So he says, Timothy, you go and check on them. And Timothy would meet up with Paul when he was in Corinth. And as he comes back, he gives a good report. They're, they're staying the course. They have faith. They're hanging on to the hope of eternal life. But there was some confusion that they had. And Paul here is they're confused about the resurrection. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Now, that term fallen asleep is a term for those who have died physically. And by the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when you and I take our last breath, we immediately go in the presence of the Lord. Our spirit goes to be with the Lord. And there are those who will come along and say, see, you know what? We're going to have soul sleep for 2,000 years or till the rapture of the church. That's a false doctrine. The Bible is very clear that when we in our life here, that we go to the presence of the Lord. But the, our body sleep, you see, and then our bodies that, as many of us, that we've gone to perhaps a graveside, a funeral, or a coffin, or maybe the urn is put into the ground. The time's going to come when 
those of us who are in Christ are going to be raised up and we're going to have new heavenly bodies that will last for all eternity. There is no soul sleep, okay? We know that Paul, he would tell the thief on the cross that before the sun has set, you'll be with me, what? In paradise. He didn't say, well, you're going to soul sleep for a few thousand years and then you'll be with me. We know that Paul the Apostle, when he was writing in the book of Philippians, he doesn't know what's going to happen to him as he's chained to a Roman guard. He says, I may be executed uh, and go home to be with the Lord, which is uh, far better for me, or I may stay here, which is far better for you. But he didn't say that, you know, he said, I I may go home to be with the Lord. He didn't say, I'm going to soul sleep. And then at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, my departure is at hand. He had a departure. So there's no evidence of any soul sleep in the scriptures or body sleep until the resurrection. So here, as, as Paul's writing to them, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. And in verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's read it again. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. And then he explains it in details in verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be harpazo, is the Greek word, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he says, comfort one another with these words. So we can be comforted in knowing about the return of the Lord or about the resurrection when we're going to get new heavenly bodies. And we know that Paul, as he gives us this wonderful truth, that there's going to be a time that a generation of Christians who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Again, the Greek word hapazo means a sudden taking to meet the Lord in the air. I pray that we are that generation In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again, as Paul's writing about the resurrection, he starts out by saying Jesus rose from the grave, uh, bodily rose from the grave. That's the very foundation of our faith. And if Jesus rose from the grave, you and I, too, have the promise that we are going to be resurrected. And then later in the chapter, in verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, die, But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's the speed of life. Not the blink of an eye. It's in the twinkle of an eye. It's light reflecting off an eye. The speed of light. At the last trumpet, for the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. Now, as we talk about the rapture of the church, and again... There's a lot of confusion about the rapture. Uh, It can be ignored pretty much for the most part in the church today. I believe, just reading particularly the, the New Testament, that the early church believed in the imminent return of Christ. The Christians here at Thessalonica were told in chapter 1, verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We know that in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says the same thing, that we've been appointed not to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now today, you will hear about the rapture in terms of pre-tribulation rapture, right? Mid-trib rapture. I believe that the rapture will happen at the end of the tribulation period, post-trib. You have pre-wrath perspective. You have partial rapture. All these things, the jargon that is used today. And I see as I read the scriptures that I hold the position of a pre 
tribulation rapture, premillennial view, that the rapture is going to take place prior to the seven-year tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week, where God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. We've already been told in this epistle in chapter 1 that the Lord, that he is going to deliver us from the wrath that is going to come. Now, there are those who believe in the mid-tribulation that the tribulation in the middle of it is going to be a ra the rapture. And in the middle of the tribulation period, there's a lot going on. The Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple to proclaim himself as God. It begins that period from the middle of the tribulation to the end of the tribulation, three and a half years of what is called the great tribulation period. And they say, well, see, the wrath really doesn't begin until the second half, the, the great tribulation period. Well, you can go through the book of Revelation that is described to us, the events that take place in chapter 6 through 19. And we see in chapter 6, by the end of the fourth seal, that a quarter of the world is killed. We also know that the two witnesses are bringing plagues down upon the earth that affects the whole earth. So I, I don't agree with that. Um, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. The last half, of course, is going to be incredible upheaval and difficulty and tribulation that will come upon all those on the earth. We have those who have a post-tribulation view, and usually those who hold to a replacement theology, that the church is Israel, and we see Israel going through the tribulation period, then we're going to go through the tribulation period. Well, that doesn't deliver us from the wrath to come. If we go through the tribulation period, right, you're going to experience the wrath of God is going to take place. And then the pre-wrath says, well, the wrath doesn't really begin until about two-thirds of the way through that seven-year period, right before the bold judgments. Uh, the problem with those views is this is that it denies the doctrine of imminency that we're going to talk about, that the Lord is going to come at any moment, that the Lord's going to come when you least expect, when the Lord's going to come in an hour that you do not know. Because as you're in the tribulation period, you're seeing all these things that are told to us that are going to take place. So there is also a view that causes a lot of confusion, and it is taught by Bible teachers that are very respected, well-known Bible teachers called a partial rapture. And the partial rapture says this, that it distinguishes uh, devout spiritual believers from worldly believers. And if you're not watching Revelation chapter 3, then this day is going to come upon you unexpectedly. And that carnal Christians are going to go into the tribulation period. And only those who are really watching for, uh, the tribulation, uh, for the coming of the Lord are going to be raptured. That's the partial rapture, even that there are some who suggest that there'll be multiple raptures during the tribulation period. Well, I see some real flaws in, in that theory, in that doctrine. First of all, I do not see in the scriptures where part of the church goes into the tribulation period. I just don't see it. I do see tribulation saints. In Revelation chapter 7, the ministry of the 144,000 that are evangelists, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And you see their ministry as many will become believers out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nations. Revelation chapter 11, you have the two witnesses in Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 14, there's going to be an angel that's going to proclaim the gospel to every single person that is living on the earth at that time. So there are going to be people that are going to be saved in the tribulation period tribulation saints but i don't see where the church is mentioned in chapters 6 through 19 of the book of revelation i just don't see it where part of the church is going to go into the tribulation period 
Secondly, and this is important, the Bible consistently uses inclusive words such as all, uh, we, we who are alive that we just read. Now, I've said this before, and as we look at that also, uh, it suggests that all believers will be raptured in this one event. Those who are in verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, those who are in Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, you might want to write it down. As Paul's talking about the resurrection, he says each one will be resurrected in their own order. Christ, the first uh, fruits of of the resurrection afterwards, those who are in Christ at his coming. Listen, you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. The scripture declares to us that those who are in Christ will be raptured. All will be changed. We who are alive. Thirdly, the partial rapture fragments the united body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 says that there is one body, one spirit, just as you are called in one hope. Colossians chapter 3 verse 11. There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. And then fourthly, where's the line? You have to be watching. You have to be looking. You know, where's the line? In other words, if we say that we're saved by grace, but you have to earn the rapture, and if you don't earn the rapture, then, you know, you're going to go into the tribulation period, even though you're the bride of Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, he writes, Little children, abide in him, and when he appears, that we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So apparently there's going to be those who are going to be ashamed at his coming. And we know that we will stand, all of us, before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be judged not for our sins, not for salvation. That's been taken care of on the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection by faith. Amen? Be established in that. We cannot earn salvation. It is a free gift given to us as we come in faith. It is faith alone. It is grace alone. It is Christ alone. But with that said, we will all stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 14. And our works are going to be tried by fire. And if anyone's work which he has built on endures, he's going to receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, you know, wood, hay, and stubble, He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So apparently there are going to be those who are going to be ashamed at his coming. So I want to ask you a question. If the Lord was to come back today, tomorrow, next week, would you be ashamed? Where are you hanging out? None of us live a perfect life. I realize how I fall short. But what's coming out of your mouth? Are you being a witness? Are you prioritizing the Lord in your life? Are you watching? Are you waiting? And you see, the rapture of the church helps us to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. So listen, when it comes to the rapture of the church, when Jesus comes from, for his church, I don't want any of us to be confused or ignorant what the scripture declares. So number one, you can write down. You can write down, when it comes to the rapture of the church, there's two aspects to the Lord's return. Because there are those who will come along and say, no, there's not two you know, returns of the Lord, Um, you know, they're the same thing, the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's a distinction that is there. 
And there's two aspects to this Lord's return. Just as in his first coming, there were different aspects, wasn't there? His birth, which we're going to celebrate next month. We have his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. So in the second advent of Jesus, it includes the rapture of the church, where he comes for his church. We'll meet him in the air. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you will be also. The second coming of Jesus Christ is when we come back with him. The Bible is very clear. Revelation chapter 19, at the end of Daniel's 70th week, at the end of the tribulation period, the second coming of Jesus is where he comes back physically, literally, to this earth. The armies of heaven are with him, Revelation chapter 19 declares to us. That's you and me. So the rapture of the church is when he comes for his church. The second coming of Jesus Christ is when he comes with his church. And we know that Jude, he would write that he comes with ten thousands of his saints. Here Paul, as he's writing to this church, he tells them in in chapter 5 that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Let me read verse 2 again to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief. In verse 3, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. As you notice, second of all, as we talk about the rapture of the church, that the scriptures have clearly given us the promise of the blessed hope. The scripture is very clear, the promise of the rapture of the church. So don't let anyone tell you that there is no rapture. Because I've heard people call me and say, there's no rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Yes, it is. If you look at the Latin word rapture, it's in the Latin Bible where we get our English word rapture. Greek word hapazo. It means a sudden taking. There are those who will come along and say, well, it's not important for us to talk about the rapture or to know about the rapture. And I disagree with that. First of all, it's in God's word. If it's in God's word, it's important. But think about this. This is a young church. This church at Thessalonica going through persecution, going through difficulties. Paul was with them for just a very short time. Acts chapter 17 indicates that Paul may have been there for as little as over three weeks. He talked to them about the rapture. He talked to them about the day of the Lord, the Antichrist, the falling away, we know that from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a year later, when he writes to them. He says, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And, and they thought they had missed the rapture of the church. And it's a study for another time. But let me just uh, remind you in chapter 2, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, that's speaking of the rapture, we ask you not to be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and a man of sin is revealed as speaking of the Antichrist. Paul's saying, no, 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 you haven't missed the rapture of the church. They thought they were in the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is a term that you see the day in the New Testament, the day of the Lord, uh, also in the New Testament, and particularly in the Old Testament. It speaks of blessing that's followed by judgment. It begins the day of the Lord. It's a period of time that includes the tribulation period, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and then the millennium reign. They thought, "Uh uh-oh, we missed the rapture. 
uh, we're troubled, we're shaken in mind because we're in the day of Christ or the day of the Lord. False letter was circulating around the Christians that had Paul's name that was forged to it. He says, no, no, that's false. Uh, by spirit or prophecy that was given that we're in the day of the Lord, uh, Paul's writing to them saying, no, not till the falling away. There's going to be a false church we'll talk about later in our series that will be on the scene that the Antichrist will support initially in the first three and a half years. The man of sin that is revealed, that is a title of Antichrist. You see, we're not looking for Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ. And as we are told that, we know that Paul says, don't you remember? I, I told you about these things. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, concerning the times and season, you know, have no need I write to you. You know perfectly well. We talked about these things. And in verse 3, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. So as we read this, notice there's a change in pronouns. Very important. When it comes to the rapture of the church, it's we. We who are in Christ, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. When it comes to the day of the Lord, which begins the tribulation period, they shall not escape. So it comes as a thief in the night unexpectedly. But you, brethren, verse 4, you're not in darkness so that that day should overtake you as a thief. In verse 5, we're sons of the light, not of the night, nor of darkness. When Jesus was talking about his return, the religious leaders came and were challenging him. Where's the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, when it comes to the Son of Man coming, that Luke chapter 17, it's going to be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And when we think about the days of Noah and the days of Lot, judgment came suddenly and completely. They weren't expecting it. The flood, the fire and brimstones, and no one escaped. When they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come, and they will not escape. So the day of the Lord is a time when God will intervene more dramatically and drastically in the affairs of the whole world, the wrath of God being poured out on Christ's rejected world. And Paul writes that you're, not a, you're appointed to salvation, not to wrath. He didn't appoint us to wrath, but to attain salvation, repeating what he said in chapter 1, which leads me to, to number 3. You can write down about the blessed hope, imminency. It's connected with the rapture. In other words, listen, there are no prophecies that need to be fulfilled for the Lord to come for his church. The rapture of the church is is signless. There's, there's no signs that, that point to it. We know that as we're nearing and coming closer to the end time events, that the rapture could take place at any time. We don't know the day or the hour. But there's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church. Now, there are those who have different views of the rapture. They're, they love the Lord. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we're not saved because we have the right position on the rapture. And, and in my studies, I believe the doctrine of imminent return is all over the New Testament. That he can come for us at any time. And there have been those who have said, well, the pre-rapture position didn't come till the 1880s, you know, with Margaret McDonald and John Darby. And she had this, this vision. And then John Darby, you know, made it popular. Uh, John Darby, it doesn't hold water. Because John Darby was talking about 
the plan God had for Israel and the plan that God had the church before she had that vision. John Darby was a very, very intelligent man. When I read this, as people say, well, the pre-tribulation rapture is not historic church doctrine, I disagree with that as well. But I also say, so what? <laughs> I mean, the history of the church is a mess. Justification by faith was not historic church doctrine for a long time. The question that we ask, is it biblical doctrine? Is it in the word of God? And the imminent return of Jesus is very clear, taught by Jesus, taught by Paul. Titus here, chapter 2, we read that we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. James writes, the Lord's coming is at hand. The book of Philippians, Paul says the same thing as we look at this. And the imminent return of Jesus was taught in the early church. The Didache, written in 100 to 120 A.D., told the Christians, be ready, for you do not know the hour that your Lord comes. Early church leaders, Clemens, wrote in 96 A.D. about the imminent return. In his second epistle, he did the same thing. Barnabas wrote about the imminent return. He can appear at any time. Latimer in the 1400s. John Wesley said, expect them every hour. So the point is, is that the New Testament doctrine, one of eminence, believed and taught by the apostles, passed through the ages, and even scholars today, very good scholars of scripture, Dr. John Wovode, who's gone home to be with the Lord, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, Thomas Ice, you know, Dwight Pentecost, Dr. Paul, you know, Benware, very great scholars in, in, of the scripture that believe and point out the imminency of Jesus Christ, that he could come at any time. Matter of fact, Mark Hitchcock, he said that I believe in imminency. I take it so seriously that when I go out to eat, I order my dessert before my meal. So, <laughs> But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, watch therefore, for you do not, do not know the hour your Lord is coming. We don't know the day or the hour. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Coming at a time that you do not know. Matthew's record of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus really emphasizes that. I come when you least expect it. And that's why I believe that the positions that the rapture takes place in the tribulation period just doesn't fit. There are those who also accuse you and me that uh, as we are looking for the return of the Lord, well, you're just wanting to escape. I don't know if anybody said that to you. Well, I'll take it, okay? Because the tribulation period, it says that they will not escape. But Jesus said, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. What things? The tribulation period. That will come to pass, it will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. In other words, he's going to take us out of the promise given to the church of Philadelphia. He will take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. That is a promise for you and for me. Not that I'm going to see you through the hour of tribulation or take you through the hour of tribulation, but I'm going to take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation, how the Greek reads. There's only one time in hu human history, well, twice, the flood, and then the second time, the tribulation period coming upon the whole earth to twist, test those who dwell on the earth. 
we have the promise of the blessed hope. It is a commandment given to you and to me, not a suggestion that we are to watch and we are to be waiting. We don't know the day or the hour the Lord comes, but we are to be watching and we're to occupy till he comes, which leads me to number four very quickly. Looking for the return of the Lord leads to purity. We'll talk more about this at the end of our series. But in 1 John chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, we know that when Jesus, he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Titus, lives soberly, righteously, godly in the present age. Listen, if you're looking for the Lord, you're going to be wanting to live for him. If today you say, perhaps, maybe, maybe the one that I love, I don't know the day or the hour. I don't know the, the hour. I know the times and seasons that we're in. We're rushing towards the return of the Lord. We're getting closer to those things that are coming to pass. Even as Jesus said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, Look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. But maybe perhaps the Lord could come for me today, this week, this month, this year, whatever it might be. You're not going to live all carnally. You're going to be wanting to live for him. So I want to encourage you, live for him. And listen, tomorrow isn't promised to any of us anyway. Live for the Lord. And as we finish this series, we're going to talk about let us not sleep. And the Lord's going to say, listen, don't be weighed down with the cares of life. That this day come upon you unexpectedly. Drunkenness carousing. But even the cares of life can really weigh us down because we all have that, don't we? And what my prayer for you and for me and for this church is that we're looking for the return of the Lord, being discerning of the days in which we are in. Remember last week I quoted that in, in Matthew's gospel, they came, they said, we want a sign. And Jesus said, listen, that you guys can discern the weather. And the sky is red in the morning that there's a storm and red at night that it's going to be fair weather. You can discern the weather, but you can't discern the coming of the Son of Man, the, the days in which you're in. He rebuked them for that. Last Sunday, I don't know if you saw it, the sunrise, one of the most beautiful sunrises I ever saw. I've seen a lot of beautiful sunrises. I mean, the whole sky was red for about a half hour. It ended up being a beautiful day. But I want to tell you this. The storm clouds are gathering quickly. And next week, we're going to talk about Ezekiel 38 and 39 for two weeks. You need to know it. And the reason we're taking... Two weeks is because chapter 39 speaks about the cleanup of that battle. It's the only chapter in all of the Bible that speaks of a cleanup. And it's very important for us to understand what is ahead for us in the latter days. You don't want to miss it. In the meantime, the Lord could come back for us this week. So keep looking up. And rejoice, for your redemption draws near. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time together. And thank you that we can look at this, the blessed hope that is given to us in your word. And, oh, Lord, we could go on so much more. But, but Lord, a promise has been given that you will descend and we will meet you in the air. But, Lord, we also have the promise that if our life ends here, because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us, that we will stand before you. And a promise of the resurrection so, Lord, may that comfort us. And may we be able to tell others 
these comforting words. And I also, I want to pray, listen, if you're here, because I know this place is packed out, and there are many that are watching online, if you're not right with God, if you have not repented and turned to Jesus, repenting just means quit going the direction you're going and turn to Christ and call out to him and ask for forgiveness. He did the work. He paid the price. He loves you. And the invitation is for you to come, to come and call out on the name of the Lord. He did the work. He paid the price. Now you come in faith. And you can come and pray, Jesus, I come, and I ask that you forgive me my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me, a sinner, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. You rose again, you're alive, and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God and the blessed hope that is now for me, the hope of heaven. And I thank you for great things you have done in my life. I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And for all of us, may we live for you, Lord, just trusting you, looking to you, desiring to be a witness to others and rejoicing and comforted in the days in which we are in and being thankful in this month of Thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Don't forget, books available for you.